Come on kids, now gather round Grab a log and sit right down What's that smell? What's that sound? You're on fire, now hit the ground It's the campfire shit show And now, your camp counselors Bo Hufford and Mero Climo Listeners, hi, it's Bo here uh, this week is a little bit of an interesting episode in the sense that uh, because Meryl's moved to L.A. and I'm still in San Diego here, it's a little bit harder for us to get together at a moment's notice. And so we found ourselves in a place where we have to introduce this episode and, uh, you know, Meryl's not here. She totally abandoned us. So uh, here I am to sort of uh, prep you for our uh, our episode and the guest. Um, I'm really excited, and I have to be honest with you, never in the history of our uh, guests have we had Meryl agree to an interview so fast as this one, and I'll tell you why. Uh, today, we have Corey Hilton, uh, who just so happens to be a certified authenticity coach, and uh, he helps men over 30 lacking emotional expression to sort of overcome that and open themselves up in a new emotional way. He's an author. Uh, he's just a really great guy, and I think you're going to love listening to him. But those aren't the reasons that Meryl said yes, absolutely. Corey just so happens to have been in the adult dancing industry for 25 years of his life as a male exotic dancer. So clearly, uh, Meryl got all googly-eyed and said, let's have this man in our lives. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't disagree. Um, I'm really excited to introduce to you all... Corey Hilton. Well, welcome. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate you being here with us. Thanks so much, you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. I love getting on these uh, these podcasts, and I always try my best to go unscripted and just be me, and that's part of authenticity in the first place. So let's roll and have a good time uh, making this happen today. Let's do it. Yes. Okay. For, so first off, I have to thank you because your book, which I have right here, I'm holding it for our <laughs> non, uh, on non-audio only people, but it actually got me back into reading because I feel like this is so sad to admit, but I haven't read for a couple of years. And then finally oh. now just the joy of like sitting with an actual book. And I, I have to admit, I read it like, of course, I'm a woman and, you know, I like men. So I was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to hear so many penis flapping stories. And there definitely is there definitely is that there. But there's also a lot of like I found myself getting really inspired by just you talk a lot about discipline and a lot of times where you went back down to ground zero, whether it was through drugs or money issues and then kind of building your way back up. And I feel like it really does have some good lessons, but it's packaged, no pun intended, in a very <laughs> nice, nice little bow, you know? Oh, uh, thanks for saying that. I, appreciate I know, Bo's rolling his eyes. I can't help it. No, I no, just, no, I, I'm I only rolling my eyes. Wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm only rolling my eyes because of every funny way that you have to, like, it, you know, do your little thing. Inject like, it? Uh, yeah, inject your little package and, and all that stuff. So. <laughs> So. Can't help it. I'm quippy. <laughs> There's so many ways you can get a laugh out of my branding. It's not even funny. So yeah, I, I uh, you know I, I can always take a joke. That's for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, and, and we will talk a little bit more about this later in the show. But like, Meryl has had her own run-ins with. Uh, male strippers uh Uh, and there's there's a great story that we've talked about before and and i kind of want to get into that kind of thing with you first but like before we do like how did you get into this industry like how did you get into this industry yeah it was kind of unique you guys and i mean i i get this question asked a lot it's i think if i was on the other side of the mic i'd I'd be asking the same thing you know a guy 17 years old jumping into this how did you do it because that's not even legal age to be in a bar in the first Mm -hmm. place right especially especially in the states but up here in canada tonight it's 19 for drinking age right so um it was kind of a weird thing because and it starts off really when i was in high school actually and i kind of saw myself um in my own perspective i saw myself as being very mediocre and i didn't like it I actually was really kind of, and this is just from, you know, my own hard judgment on myself. Other people that I knew didn't feel that way, but I did. And I was going through some bullying and stuff and the bullying hit me in the heart in a big way because it wasn't just some kid that randomly started bullying me. It was one of my friends that I grew up with that was doing that to kind of step on my head to get his own way of acceptance. Kids are cruel, right? Especially when you're in that age group, right? So I was actually 
in this zone where I thought to myself, the only thing that I can really control is, is, is my, what I do with myself here. So I decided I started working out and getting the gym and stuff and, and just try to build myself up. So I'd never be bullied again. That was the first stage of it. Right. So, and I did. And, and within a year or so after really taking a whole lot of time in my friend's carport, uh, <laughs> I got myself pretty built up. And then I, my dad was very supportive of me with that because he saw that I was actually really engaged in that. So, and I was adopted to my grandparents. So he was you know, of a depression era generation, but at the same time he supported me and he said, Oh yeah, you know, the kid wants to do it, you know? So I, I st stuck in the gym, avoided classes sometimes to go to the gym. Like I was always just about building myself that way. So then what happened was one day I was in the gym and this guy that was a couple of years older than me, he said, Hey, you know, you should come down to this nightclub that I work at. I'm a bouncer there. I'll let you in the door. I don't care if you're underage or not. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. And I was nervous because I'd never even been in a nightclub before. <laughs> wow. It was just like, oh, freaked, right? So, and there was also a couple of kids from school that went there that were in my classes and stuff that he'd let in. One was a girl that I was pretty interested in. So it was even more motivation to go there, right? So I show up one day and I, I went up there. It was on a ladies night, I believe. And, um, and I took the bus, I think down there, you know, <laughs> and it was seven o'clock. The place was just opening. There's not a soul around. You could shoot a cannon through the bloody place. Right? <laughs> so I come up there and I awkwardly, uh, you know, I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And they said, Oh yeah, you should have been here maybe in an hour or so from now, but yeah, let's chat. And so he ended up introducing me to the manager because there was just three of us in there. The, not, the staff wasn't even in there. Oh yet, man. Right? So like the three of us are standing there and he turns around and he says, so you're going to school? And I said, yeah, I was wearing a university shirt because my friend told me wear one down there. So, you know, it doesn't set off any alarms. So I said, yeah, I'm going to school. He said, well, you're looking to make some extra money. And I was like, of course, starving student. Sure. And he said, well, take your shirt off. And there was nobody <laughs> around. So I took my shirt off. And next thing you know, he says, you're hired. And I said, okay. And he said, well, Tuesdays and Thursdays show up around this time from seven till 11 11 30 you'll be out there serving drinks and you'll be serving your drinks with your shirt off and sh serve shooters drinks whatever and you get 15 percent of everything that you sell and on top of that you collect all your tips well as a 17 year old kid in high school i was like sign me the fuck up right. like get me in yeah <laughs> so i was always all about it until i went for that first show that first night right so i show up there and of course there's real male dancers and up here in canada we have male dancers that strip completely full monty nude wow. right so i'm now getting introduced to four male dancers that randomly came in and out of that place every ladies night every tuesday and thursday and i started to get to know some of these guys but what happened was on that very first night that i came to do my actual job I did the job, had a good round of making a few bucks, whatever. And I was pretty shy. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty reserved. And so I had, they had this unisex change room and it was actually just the office of the club. So I went back there and I, you know, I'm standing there taking all my clothes off to change into my regular stuff and I'm buck naked. And all <laughs> of a sudden there was like, and, and just to, to give you guys some perspective, this club wasn't just a ladies night club. It actually was men's night as well. So there was female dancers on one side. There was male dancers on the other side, a velvet rope in the middle. So it was like, this is mid eighties or 87. This is heyday of ladies night. Like it's like lineups all the way down the street just to get in this bloody place. Right. So the clubs outside, it's just packed. There's just people freaking just may mayhem on the other side of the wall. And I'm standing there with my pants around my ankles and these two beautiful girls that had just finished doing a duo act right outside of the freaking door for a bunch of guys come just trucking through the door all covered in sweat buck naked and they just look at me and they're like hey baby how's it going and i was just like uh, uh, and i didn't even know what to say i just was so embarrassed right because i just was everything was hanging out literally so and then it just kind of went from there and and they could maybe i guess kind of tell that i was kind of reserved and they just kind of left me alone right so yeah. but then it just kind of blossomed from there you guys and i got a bazillion stories in between but really what it kind of came from from being in an environment we all know if you're in the in an environment you're kind of the clay that's getting molded from the environment you're in so although i was never exploited going into the industry i welcomed it i walked in with open arms going into this thing when i started rubbing shoulders with these other dancers i actually got to know some of the best in the industry like really really top-notch dancers and one in particular was my ended up being my mentor and he was just 
The reason why he was ended up being my mentor was because not only was he top notch on stage, this guy could spin on a dime. He was hung like a horse, had a chiseled <laughs> body, just everything about him, even the bloody British accent. This guy had it all going on. Right. And he was number one. And so, but he was even better off stage than he was on stage. He was this guy that just like, man, he wasn't the stereotypical dancer. He treated ladies with respect, dressed in dress clothes. Like he just was just different. And so when I got to know him, he honestly like kind of like guided me and for this, for my first year or so and introduced me to all the right people and just kind of showed me the right things to do uh, to really get the best crowd response. And so we created a name and we created shows together and stuff. And yeah, he was more nervous about me going up for my first show than I was. So yeah. Was Whoa. And wait, what was your alter ego name again? Your, your stage name? Um, my, my stage name was created, well, from him and I sitting there at that exact same bar um, in about 10 minutes. He said to me, he goes, uh, hey, Corey, what's your favorite movie? And at the time, like mid 80s, it was Roadhouse all the way. I was like, <laughs> I loved it. So he said, uh, oh, what's the, what's the main character's name? And I said, Dalton. He says, okay, there's your first name for your stage name. He says, you're a big guy. And at the time I was pretty big. And he goes, um, we got to give you a name that represents strength. Oh, strong. Yeah, strong. <laughs> Dalton Strong. Let's go with Dalton Strong. So it was like, boom, 10 minutes. Brilliant. Right. Then all of a sudden we just, we kind of went with the whole funny comedy theme when we created a Terminator act and we made the Terminator into kind of like a comedic thing where I came through the fog with my laser scope and I have the shades on and all the Arnold shit. And oh, I got the man. Jacket and, all that. and then it's like, I'm, I'm on the search for Sarah Connor, you know? And oh all my gosh. And, so, and it was funny because like, what was really crazy about this, you guys, and I want to just paint this picture for you because it's just so weird is, is that back at that time, like a lot of us guys in the industry, we just create our own shows. Right. So I had to actually, do the Arnold voice for my own show. So I was like, you know, and so what was crazy about it was when I actually went out to do my act, I was lip syncing my own voice doing Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is really awkward actually. And the weirdest part of this is, is up till almost the end of my career, that same show I carried with me and I still had it as like kind of like a memento of my first act that I ever did back when I was in the early days. I still kept that bloody show. So I went, even when I was in Florida working for the largest beach club in North America, I even let one of the other guys in my group use that same show. So even like 20 years later, I was listening to my own voice that I'd recorded originally somebody else doing it. Do, oh, you know, man. and it was just like it's still stuck for that many years. Right? You franchised so, it. <laughs> I should have. Yeah, I could have made a lot more money. I wow. suppose. But, That's amazing. so funny, man. That's amazing. Yeah. And I love that you spilled some secrets of exotic male dancers. Like, for example, Bo, did you know that sometimes they tie off their penis and oh, yeah. like to cut off circulation? Why? Or, or, you know, to keep it like, to keep, I mean, Corey can explain more, but. <laughs> wait, 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 yeah, yeah. Explain to me what this Both is. Like, he's like the <laughs> awkward pause. Uh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's something that was mandatory here in Canada because of course, like I said, we went, we stripped nude, right? So like, and, and as it's, it's really weird because like certain cities had different like um rules so some some places would have like a, a three-foot barrier you couldn't even talk you couldn't even get up in front of anybody some air some places would do one show a night and some places like winnipeg canada would do sometimes on a thursday five or six shows a night wow which was pretty crazy because like especially when you had to tie off that's not really the easiest thing to do so what i mean by the tying off thing is this <laughs> to give the illusion of being this massive freaking, you know, hammer on this guy. Right. Basically what all these dancers would do, including myself, I was forced to actually go to a secret location before the show. And that location, if I was lucky, would be in my hotel room. Maybe it was in a bathroom that was sitting next to the beer bottles in the back of the club. Or maybe even worse yet. It might even be right on the fucking stage with a squared off curtain where I'm sitting in a chair on the stage while another dancer's out there doing his show and the girls are screaming and I'm sitting there trying to get an erection and tie an elastic band oh around the of my dick to be able to keep all the blood in there, which does work if you think about it with sex toys. It's kind of the same thing as having a cock ring. Yeah, It really is. 
not a lot of difference. The only thing is, is that most people don't realize that we went through that suffering and that pain. So you're thinking, oh, this guy's out there and he's, you know, he's going to be, he has to be turned on or whatever. Not even close. There's no way you don't feel turned on. You're in pain. Right? Yeah. You're doing the show. So I'd be out there doing my thing. And sometimes some shows lasted longer than others, whatever. And when you went back into that change room and you took it off, put this into perspective. Remember when you were a kid and you wrapped a string around your finger a million times until the string, you, the, your finger turned purple. Yeah. Yes. And then yeah. you took that string off and you felt that little rush of blood that went back in. You're like, Ooh, that actually kind of hurt a little bit. Time's up by about a hundred thousand. And then you have where I was at. Wait, oh. And you'd be doing this every day that you worked. Yeah, pretty much every show oh. for almost a decade. Yeah. So what are the long term like, wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, wait. What are the long term like issues with that? Yeah, uh, I'm just wondering if there is long term. Because you know, you do it enough yeah. things, you get like, you know, I mean people get carpal tunnel and and you, you know <laughs> shit like that. So it's like yeah. what what is is there any long term things? Yeah, the only long term side effects that I've had from it actually are beneficial more than detrimental. This sounds kind of funny. It's look to me, anyways, in the first place, sex to me, as far as the whole thing goes, is kind of an emotional connection. It's really mainly right up in your head, right? Yeah. So the physical side of it only kind of goes so far. And yes, I know men get into erectile dysfunction and all that good stuff as we get older. But for me, it's it's no different. I'm no different than anybody else, really. The difference, only difference is, is that like you've heard of uh dick pumps. Right. Yeah. Go get a dick pump. Well, a dick pump actually <laughs> education for your audience. The dick pump actually pulls your genitalia out a little bit further because we're all actually set in a little bit, right? Uh -huh. So a dick pump actually literally pulls that out. Well, when you've done male dancing for that long and you've held it out that long in the same way with an elastic, it actually kind of has the same effect. So mm. if anything, it's actually it been helps. in a sense a little more it's not like beneficial, like massive difference or anything like that. But yeah, I never really had any any health issues or anything like that. Thank it. God. But Thank God. You know, yeah. it's just, it's that kind of stuff where you don't realize you could be doing damage long term and you're just like, Well, this is just the solution right now. I was just hoping that you were like, Oh yeah, my dick doesn't work at all. I was like, Oh no, God. Oh, yeah. Dude, no, no, no. But 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 I had two two incidents where uh, and Meryl already knows because she read the book, but I had two different incidents where I didn't feel anything at all for a couple days over wow. tying off. One was that very first show that I went out to do and I was nervous. Oh God, I was so nervous because there was five girls from my graduating class <laughs> sitting out in the audience and just the first night I was ever going to go out and expose myself in full. Oh, and man. so I was like, so fucking nervous so i go back into the change room i go do what i had to do and then i tied it off but like the rule was you had this certain type of elastic and then you had to actually loop it three times but i was so nervous you guys that i was like oh my god i have to have i'm gonna loop it one more time just to make sure and i looped it four times that was detrimental because <laughs> when i came back it was like nothing uh. you couldn't feel anything right like it was just like numb right and then secondly but it you know everything worked out in the end but what but then the second time was actually when i did the mr nude western canada show and that was in 1997 and um i was really cool mr. like nude, my, mr nude canada show yeah. Yeah, I actually did. There was there was contests back then. So like here in Canada, we had Mr. Nude Western Canada. We had Mr. Nude Canada. Like it was really, like I said, back then it was a pretty big deal. Right. Yeah. So um, and and I was doing this show and it was in Calgary, Alberta, and the, it was a hot, packed house and um, it was down to five guys. And I was one of them as a finalist. Right. So we go in and we pick our numbers to go out on stage and stuff. And I was lucky enough to to draw the 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 last card. So uh, it was great because the later you're on, well, the more drunk the crowd is, the better chance you're going to win because the crowd's the judge and all that. Right. Sure. So I was like, okay, this is great. I got the last position. So I go out to do, I, I was, I was getting, I was thinking to myself, okay, you know, the guy that's on third, he's, I was watching him do his shit. And then the DJ came up to me and he says, Dalton, oh my God, I hate to tell you this dude, but he goes, the, the, the fourth dancer, he's late. He's at another show right now. He's not going to be able to make it. You need to go back and get ready. And I was like, okay. So I go and throw my cowboy costume on for the show I was doing and I get, get everything ready and get all freaking <laughs> tied off. And I had a good one. So I get all tied <laughs> off and standing there at the door and I'm like, okay, let's go do this thing. I'm going to go kick ass number four. So I get out there and I'm, I'm, or I should, I'm standing by the door and then I'm looking out 
And I look and I see the, the guy that was supposed to be there. He comes running in, throws his music at the DJ and they throw him right on. Oh. And I'm standing there and I'm like, oh shit. Okay. So I have two choices. I pull this elastic off me right now, which is, which is going to be like, man, like it's going to be hard, really tough to be able to actually go and do that whole process all over again. Uh-huh. Or I just say, fuck it. I wait it out and I hold, I hold what I got and just stand here and wait it out. So I chose option two. I waited it out. And this guy unfortunately did like a 20 minute purple rain prince set. <laughs> I've never really been able to listen to purple rain the same way ever since. Yeah, you had purple, pur- pe- you had purple veins. <laughs> purple penis, you may as well call it that. So so I'm like standing there and there's sweat dripping down my face before I even got out there. And I'm like, oh my God. But the crowd's going wild, right? Like, and they're just, and I'm like, and I could just sense it. Like, you know, when you know that it's just, man, you can feel the vibe in a room and you just kind of know that tonight's your night. That yeah. was the way yeah. I felt, regardless of the pain. So I went out and I did my best act at that time and and rocked the shit out of that place. And I mean, I danced like as hard as I could dance and, and showed lots of everything and just went right for it and went right for the heart with my crowd and connected with them really well. And so what happened was, is, okay, now we're counting. We got 20 minutes for this guy that was out there first. And then I've got like maybe a two or three minute delay. And then they bring me back out. And then I go do yet another 20 minutes. And then, of course, I rocked it so well that the crowd's going encore, encore, encore. Uh So there's tips flowing and everything else. So I'm still out there rolling and just going off adrenaline, not really feeling anything. And I'm just keeping on going. And by the time it was all said and done, guys, by the time I got back there to take that elastic off after I did everything, I went back, snipped it off. It was an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, my God. That is insane. I mean, I've been hit by a car. Okay, I felt pain from being hit by a car. I did not feel that same kind of pain. Oh, it was it was it was worse. It was seriously worse. And it, my eyes literally rolled in the back of my head when I slipped that thing off. And I was just like, oh, I just sat there and screamed in this bathroom while there's girls outside chanting my name to come back out because I just, they, they'd already, I already knew I'd won. So they're counting down the other guys and they're like, number three winner, number two winner and number one. And they didn't even get to call my name. Like the crowd was just chanting it. So I just rolled back out there in my regular, regular clothes. And I couldn't even feel my dick at all. I couldn't feel it. So then I take my, my trophy and I'm standing there right by the bathroom again. And there's this lineup across the bar of all these girls. I'm signing promo posters and all this and charging like five bucks for a piece of paper that I signed and they're, they're paying it glad. Like, and a couple of them are like, you know, what are you doing later on? I'm like, I'd gladly go home with you on any other night, but this thing isn't even going to be working tonight. I hate to tell you probably wasting your time anyway and just kind of had a chuckle about it but yeah it took two days to actually get feeling back again there in that one too so that brings up another question i had because i think most people who haven't met anyone in this industry would be asking the very stereotypical questions which is like did you go home with people did you go home with women all the time is it was that a thing in that industry or is it are we kind of like misled in believing that that's the way it is and really people are just like no i'm going home to you know get my kids ready for bed and blah 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 like, <laughs> how, how is that industry for from your perspective stereotypes are stereotypes like okay like not every bas- not every black guy is a basketball player. Not every Asian sure. person is a horrible driver. Yeah. Um, you know, not every stripper is a slut. Uh, not every woman that shows up to watch strippers is a slut trying to take that man home. Sure. Right. So you can't just lump it all into one. I took a lot of pride, actually. And I still do. That's part of my standard of my life is, is that I'm monogamous. I've always been that. Like, it's just part of the way I was raised. But and it didn't matter. Like if I was being a dirty dog in my twenties when I was just having a one night stand with some girl, or if it was somebody that I was married to, it was with that person. And it yeah. was always one-on-one and it was never, I had lots of offers for two-on-one or whatever and all that shit never went there. It was always just that oddly enough for me, it was just the connection that I had. So I never went there. So even though I had lots of rumors flying around at times, like, you know, oh, that guy over there, yeah, he screws around with everybody in the bar. It was funny. I'd laugh sometimes when I hear that because I wasn't that guy, right? And so people love to 
misery loves company. They love to get some dirty dog stuff out there as much as possible. So was I, yes, in my twenties. Yeah. I had some good times. I'm not going to deny it. I did some crazy shit where, you know, but at the same time, regardless of where it was in my career, I'd never, ever had the intent of hurting anybody when I was in my drug phase. I never hurt anybody outside of myself. Um, you know, I just wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't a stereotypical dancer. And, and so that's part of why I lasted as long as I did in the industry. Cause you know, I didn't, although I didn't want to be known as egotistical anyway, in fact, that made me kind of shudder. I just didn't want to be that stereotypical dancer. I ended up kind of going there for a little while and took my alter ego off stage and paid the price for it. You know, so I was being inauthentic in my relationships at, at one point and had to discover that later on in life. Right. But yeah, it's just a learning experience. But, you know, at the same time, like, yeah, there was there was that's why I wrote the book. Right. There's yeah. so many crazy stories in there. So will you, you know. talk about a little bit how you, you sort of went off the I, these are my words, but went off the deep end a bit, maybe with addiction. How yeah. how do you. um how did you fall into it feels like I understand how you could fall into that in that industry uh, of just like mm-hmm. you're in clubs, you're around new people, you're traveling a lot. Yeah. That that That's where a lot of people can get into trouble with drinking and drugs and things like that. Makes yeah. it easy. Right. Um, but what about on that other end? How did you get out of it? How did yeah. you how did you come out of that? Well, interestingly enough, um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how I got out first and then I'll backtrack how I got out of doing, I was a, I was big time into ecstasy when I was in Florida, ecstasy was my thing. Now to get out of it, cause ecstasy is something that makes you just, you know, it's an upper, you're really emotional. You're all those things. You love to go party and you're in the club and you have that. Just, if you've done it, you're like, Oh, I want to go do it again. Sure. Right. So for me, everybody says marijuana is a gateway drug and they're absolutely right. But for me, it was the gateway out. So for me, that was something that I used to actually settle my mind to not want to go and grab a pill, right? So I've even talked to a narcotics officer here locally and told her that. And she was just like, oh, you're the first person I've ever heard say something like that. So I kind of just changed her perspective on that a little bit because it helped me. Now, to back up, the reason why, again, it was kind of a different thing. I never did any drugs at all in my life till I was 26 years old. I never smoked joint. I didn't do freaking, I didn't, I drank a few beers, at, you know, party when I was a teenager, but I, I wasn't, it was just, wasn't me. I was really disciplined in bodybuilding. Like I was really honed in on keeping myself clean as far as just diet and everything goes. Right. So when, but the thing was, is, is I was in Canada till I was 26. And so I was around my family. I had friends of mine and I'm going to admit this. I was concerned about what other people thought of me. And so I wasn't, I wasn't, I was just not down for, for getting into any of that shit, which was good. It actually was really good because it gave me a lot of clarity. Yeah. But the weird thing was I, I got, and, and, and what happened is that original club that I worked at, I had actually an agent approach me that was in a, that were, that owned this dance review out of Panama city beach, Florida. And this agent was a really cool guy. And years before I even made the move down there, I'm talking, this was at my original club. And so he said to me, he said, if you're ever interested in coming to Florida to work with us, he's like, here's my card, keep it as long as you want. I'll be around, call me. And so I, I left it in my pocket for years. And he, it was funny though, when, when he said that, he said, I don't know if I even want to offer you this because you're way too nice for the guy to be living in Florida. He was just like, you're probably going to get yourself in a whole lot of shit down there. You don't need to be coming down here, but I have to offer it. So I thought, okay. So what happened was, is I, I, you know, done some shows and I kind of got myself to the point where I was pretty well respected in the industry and I kind of had some structure. So I called him up one day and I said, yeah, you know, I'm interested in working with you. So his group was ironically coming up just a couple of weeks after the call up to Canada. So they invited me to go out on tour with them for three weeks in Canada, learn all their choreography and stuff. And if I could get them to all their shows on time and stuff, then he said, you have a full-time position. So I did it. And at the end of the three weeks, I was jumping into a tour van with these other six dancers and traveling from Vancouver, Canada, diagonally across the entire country for three days down to the dirty South. And, you know, literally like in a whole new world, like, my lifestyle in Canada was nothing like Georgia, Florida, like at all. Right. Even the people was just completely different. So I go down there, I walk right into spring break central central. Um, we drive up, 
look up on the billboard outside the club. There's a life-size picture of all of us guys there. Like I'm seeing my own, my own picture <laughs> up. I'm like, holy shit, this is crazy. Like, this is so surreal. And then there's like, you know, lineups across the freaking parking lot to get in 35 buck cover. Well, I'm instant VIP. We walk by all the lineups. We get somebody in with us. Everybody wants to get to know me for all the wrong reasons mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So I get walk in the first night. I get introduced to the owners of the nightclub. They right away say, hey, you want to come up to the MTV tower with us and drop some ecstasy and do some GHB and all this. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what is all this stuff? I didn't even know. Right. So that the weird part was this. I was pretty emotionally disconnected as a kid, even as an entertainer still, like I could, I could convey emotions on stage, but when I came off stage, it was really hard for me. I, I didn't hear a lot of love use in my household or any of that stuff. Cause I was raised by these depression era folks that were hearts of gold. And, you know, they had the great tools in a lot of ways, but emotional connection, not so much. Right. So when I went there, I was really hungry for it. And I went through a door they gave me it, but the door didn't take me where I wanted to go. Yeah. So when I mm-hmm. it was like a couple of days after getting down there, I decided to try it. I popped that pill in my mouth and all of a sudden, boom, the door of emotions opens up. And it was like, I tasted food for the very first time. And it was like, oh my God, I love this. And so I fell in love with the party scene and I ended up being this, like the guy that everybody wanted to hang out with and have a good time. Cause I was a good time. I, we really had we had our own little section in the club that was for just us dancers and it was a female dancer of you and we all used to kind of like get together at the same time and we all be giving each other massages and stuff and <laughs> just like really we had our own little click you know and so it was like it was just fun and so we I, I felt like this was my new home but this new this new world that I was in I didn't worry about what anybody thought of me I was already accepted right so it was like and everybody else was kind of just doing that at the same time. So I went on to the top of the world with all that. And it was like, I felt like a million bucks. Like I was just having so much fun, but like anything, when you're doing something like that, if you start doing it too often, or you're just, you're, you, you, it doesn't, it's not just fun anymore for special occasions. Now it's turning into something more. Right. And so I hit rock bottom with that at one point as well. And if it wasn't for the words of my dad, giving me integrity and morality from long walks when I was a kid, I might not even be here now. So yeah, crazy. You mentioned your family. Did your did your mother, father, did they ever know what you were doing? Were you uh, able to like communicate that with them? Yeah, yeah. In fact, my dad actually even helped me build a couple of shows, a couple of acts and stuff. He actually awesome. helped me build like shower sets and stuff because he was a construction guy. So. But he it was funny, Bo, because he was like, you know, when I first, even when I first went to be a male waiter, like he knew, like I was in high school, right? But, you know, uh, he just kind of, they they both said to me, they were like, look, don't get messed up on drugs. Keep your grades up. We don't care. Yeah. We really don't like do what you got to do, kid, get it out of you. And I did, I I held up to my end of the bargain. Right. I never screwed up with that. And even when I wrote my book, like to be straight up, I, I didn't want them to read some of the stuff that was in it because there was some things in there that would have tarnished the image that they had of me of the kid that they raised. So I didn't want that to happen. So I didn't release my book until, um, well, my, my grandmother who raised me passed away, um, a few years before my grandfather and my grandfather passed away a couple of years ago. So I waited until to get serious about the, getting the book out there. Yeah. I didn't, you know, until they were passed away, which in a way I'm happy that I did in a way that I'm not, because some of the writings in there, like, I kind of wish that he had a known in a weird way that he did save me because mm-hmm. he did, but he'll, he'll never really know. Right. But yeah. it's just kind of at the same time, it, it's, you know, when I look at, at some of the things that I wrote in the book, as far as like, I read back into it and kind of went, yeah, that was a beautiful tragedy. You know, like mm-hmm. there's a certain things where, you know, I learned such hard life lessons um, looking through my lens. And, and so now when I look at some of the things that I went through that were based off the struggles that I went through with my core values, those are relatable struggles that a lot of guys or people in general go through. It's just that I saw it through a different lens. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so you did write this book and I know we've, we've kind of talked about it throughout the, our time here. Uh, Mm -hmm. but what was the ultimate goal for the book? What was the ultimate thing that you were hoping to showcase or explain, describe, uh, by writing this book and putting it out into the world? Yeah. At at first it was actually just I, I actually so funny. I was actually like when I was writing it, I took this job as a security guard working like 
12 hour shifts at night, seven days a week. So I could get paid to just sit there and write. Uh. And that's what I did. Right. So I was just like, and as shitty as it was, even the winter here doing that and everything, like I, I wrote it just from memories and timelining things and looking back. Okay. Like where was I on nine 11? Where was I when hurricane Katrina happened? Mm-hmm. So like, going back, like, and sometimes it's tough to, to really get clarity as far as certain things go. So I did get some help from a couple people that I'd known and I wrote the stories as accurately as I could. But the crazy part was, is I got the whole thing done. And then I connected with my publishing company, Daring to Share Global, and my coach, Diana Ryers, who actually showed me how to actually write more authentically. So I get this book of 100,000 words done. And all of a sudden, I came to this brutal realization that I have to rewrite my entire book. Because (laughs) what happened was when I started to understand my top core values and the feelings that were connected to them, that was where I started to inject those feelings into my writing. So I had to go back and actually go, okay, instead of, for example, saying, I felt like a million bucks when this happened, I would replace the word feel and actually use the feeling, the, the core value that, that, that I had. It was with that, I used that feeling. So I, you know, instead of saying I felt, I would maybe say I was excited, right? Mm-hmm. And just injected those words in because then... I was painting a far more accurate picture for the reader to be able to go, okay, I'm kind of with him now. I see where he was at, right? So by doing that, I made something that was a good story into something fabulous. And so I'm really, really proud of what I wrote. And you can always go back and go, oh, I wish I had added this. You know, there's never going to be, when you write something like that, you you always kind of go, oh man, like, you know, but you got to at some point just cut the cord and go, it's got to get out there, right? So that's what yeah. I kind of had to do. I hope that kind of answers your question anyway. Okay, but before we break, I want to also talk with you about, because we know, I think women can be so feral. You know, I am a very feral woman. And were you, is that something you knew or like has your opinion of women, I mean, I know you're respectful to women, but like after seeing groups of women and just some of the experiences that you describe in the book, I I mean, it seems like the group of women that are like 50 and above and there for their birthdays are a a powerful force. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really weird, Meryl. I mean, you got to understand. I mean, that dance for women everywhere from Tuck Toyuk Tuck in the Northwest Territories, almost <laughs> all the way down to friggin' Florida to New York to you know straight across the country. I mean, I've been everywhere, mm-hmm. and there's just certain things that stereotypically, like you kind of see, it's just like you kind of get used to all the time. And some crowds were a little crazier than others. But I always found that the craziest crowds were actually in the Bible Belt areas, like right <laughs> down, like out of everywhere. Like of it was always them. Because the reason why was because I kind of felt like they had such a normalized life at home. Hi, honey, grab me a beer. I'm home. Is dinner on the table yet? Did you get the laundry done? You know, mm-hmm. like and uh, and so when you're kind of in that zone of comfort, which is not the place, in my opinion, where you want to be in a relationship you kind of get to the point where the male dancers come flying through town and all of a sudden you're out with your girls having a night of fantasy, hanging out with these male dancers and enjoying the entertainment. Now, is every girl out there trying to get action from a male dancer? No. In fact, the majority of them are out there just having a good time, right? So my opinion does not stick like static as far as because each individual is different, right? But overall, through my career, I think the worst thing that I ever had a woman do to me on stage actually was... Um, in a club in Destin, Florida, I still remember it because I was standing on a chair in front of this girl and she just got up and she like wrapped her arms like right around me. And like, she was like eye level with my belly button. (laughs) And she like reached up with her long nails and thought it was going to be like sexy to just like rake her nails right across my chest and like literally like blood like right in that one move. And it was just like cringe worthy. Oh so, you know, that happened, but at the same time, that was kind of a rare occurrence. I didn't really have any major issues, like even working gay bars. Cause I had to work gay bars for a while too. And I didn't have any problems there either. It was just like, cause you get these assumptions that these, you know, you're going to maybe even in that scene, you're not going to come out the same way. Well, no, it was all acting. Yeah. It was all mm-hmm. acting. Didn't matter who it was. I'm glad to yeah. hear that because, Meryl, I, I had mentioned this earlier, but Meryl had painted this <laughs> picture for me of 
There was once a birthday party for Meryl uh, at her work, and so all the women got together. There were how many women, uh, Meryl? Nine women? Ooh. Nine or ten? Nine. And they were all standing in a row. They hired this male dancer, and he came, and he was dancing. And, uh, you know, it was just the women in this room. And then one by one, as the male dancer moved down the row, do you want to say it, Meryl? Or Yes, we each took turns filleting him. And then he ejaculated in my mouth. No. <laughs> yeah. Open yeah, that door. Wow. Yeah. And then I, felt, as you were saying that, I have to admit, one of one of the women, I think woman number seven, raked her nails against his back. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, I was going to ask. Is, I mean, there's a difference. There has to be a difference between like male stripper per se and male exotic dancer, right? Yeah. Um. I don't know. It's just a name. Are they I mean, one and the same? same yeah. Job. Like I mean, the, this one went by stripper, but yeah, he uh, he just, I don't know if that was part of the plan of the night. I think one of my how, friends just like how, unpantsed him. Yeah. How, and then <laughs> he just went down a line and then I, I happened to be at the end of the line. <laughs> yeah, I, I got it. Never been that dirty of a dog myself. <laughs> oh, shit. I've out dirtied a literal person that has this been, guy's been in the industry. Longer than anyone you could possibly meet, I imagine, has a great perspective of it and still is surprised by something that you've done, Meryl. Yes. Yes. And I I have no excuse because I I am just insane. But some of the other women like are also are mothers and domesticated and everything. So like you said, it's the women that I feel like don't get a chance to quote unquote like, you know, let loose every now and then. Those were those were part of my crew. Guys, I'm telling you, each dancer had his own choices to do the things that he did. And I saw guys that, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. There was one guy, I'm not going to name his name, but, and I remember the club I was in and everything, but his girlfriend was right in the audience. And I saw him wheel his G string down and slide himself right up inside one girl with a mini skirt on right on the freaking stage. What? I don't even, or not on stage, but in the crowd. I don't even know how he did it. I still can't even, I'm just, there was no tying off going on at that point. So I guess, you know. Oh, was his yeah. girlfriend a dancer too, or she was just in the crowd? Well, she was just in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. She's a, she's in the crowd. But he, he actually did that. And but my you know, here I was the exact opposite, you guys. I was the guy that, like my wife, she was in the back with all the rest of the girls, like the the dancer wives and girlfriends and stuff. She'd be sitting back there. She was 10 years younger than me, and she was a little bit, you know, intimidated by this whole scene and stuff, especially when we first got together and stuff. So I used to make her feel really good. I'd be collecting tips. I'd have a shitload of money in my G-string, and I'd just go running back to the back of the club, right middle of my set, and take all my money out and shove it in her purse. That's awesome. And just like looking at me, like, "Oh my god, I love you so much," and I'd be just like, "Love you too." And then I just like pew, go back out there, and all the rest of the dancers' wives are like, "Oh my god, you guys are just like wow." <laughs> so like envious of her because I I was all about her. Yeah. And even when it came down to doing shows, I'd be out of town. I'd do a show or Fort Wayne, Indiana. I made more money than I'd ever made in any show in my life. And they were all getting action after the show. I was back in the hotel room with money all over my bed. Going, <laughs> Baby, you're not going to. When you see what I'm bringing home, we are hitting the fucking Victoria's Secret. <laughs> oh, we are buying like the coolest shit and we are going to have a lot of fun. So I was just all about her, you know, and, and it was cool. Like we had a really good, we had seven years of absolute bliss, you know, but that's it awesome. was what it was. You know, so yeah, crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, Corey, you're a delight. Will you come anytime you're on the West Coast? We'll do another one in person because that'll be extra fun too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, we'll I get more go. stories. I want to get down that way one of these days. It's been a lot of years since I've been down to California, so I'd love to get back down there. I, I'm, maybe one of these days I might even move to Mexico. I'm just kind of trying to get my authenticity coaching rolling so that I can actually be making, make, have my own business really. I'm right now I'm subcontracting through my company um, to help other writers out to write authentically. So they hire me to be able to kind of come in and do my thing every so often. But mm -hmm. it's sort of like, as soon as I get my own stuff established and I'm, I, I focus on men over 30 who struggle with lack and unworthiness and emotional disconnection in a lot of ways, but it really doesn't have to be that it, it can be anybody that really just wants to live a more authentic lifestyle. And it's liberated me in a big freaking way. Like it really has. It's made me just, um, I guess I can say this, like maybe 10 years ago, I might've been looking in the mirror and you might've saw a better body, you know, but I wasn't, the, when I looked in the mirror, it wasn't, I didn't love what I saw. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. But the person I see now, like I've worked so much on my inner self that, uh, you know, I feel like I can provide more value, not only personally, but professionally as well. And yeah, it's a good feeling actually to be able to actually kind of, I guess, find that those dots and have those dots connected 
um, because really, you know, I mean, we, we, we we're always learning and growing, but some, but some of us never learn and grow because we're not willing to go there. And yeah. I was just willing to walk through that fire. Right. So you got to be able to do it, but it's sure as hell worth it at the end of the day. That's for sure. So Dude. the click that you mentioned at first, like how is everyone else that kind of came up with you doing? I imagine, I can't imagine. I mean, I'm not saying you're doing better than them, quote unquote, but I don't, I have a feeling they're all not like as, you know, woke and, as you are. And, Oh, other dancers, you mean? Yeah, like the people that you mentioned that you were kind of in the clique with originally. Do you yeah. still talk with a lot of them? Well, I got a couple of friends of mine that are on Facebook that I I randomly have like a little, you know, hey, how you doing thing. But yeah, it's been so many years. And and really like a lot of those guys, like, I mean, I lost a lot of touch with them when I ended up in the States because I ended up in the States for a decade, right? So, um, and then I came back here and, and kind of, at the twilight of my career and was doing shows that weren't exactly the type of shows where I was, you know, having the same kind of reaction from the crowd. So I just didn't have the passion for what I was doing anymore. And bachelorette parties and stuff like that here in Kelowna made me a few extra bucks, but it wasn't something that I was like excited about going to do all the time. So <laughs> yeah, 43, I eventually just said, you know, I got to hang this thing up and really it, just came to a realization that i should what, have been out there is what you hung up just that elastics that band that, <laughs> just one thing I'm just kidding. This is, the funny thing about that though is, is that i actually had my bag right and i had my my costume like my last co show costume i was using for bachelorette parties and stuff and my original red g-string and left it sitting there you know and i just let it collect dust and then what happened was all of a sudden i was like oh, yeah, i'm done with this i'm not going to go back out i'm just I'm working corporate never going to go out there and do shows again i made my decision and then all of a sudden a friend of mine contacted me out of the blue from high school and she said you know i have a friend of mine yeah his wife's having her 40th birthday and i'd really love you to be able to do a show you know, I've heard you're really good, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, man, you don't want to see me. I've been out of the gym for a while. Like, I don't sure. even, uh, I, I don't even want to see me. You know, I was just like, we were kind of laughing about it. She's like, come on, Corey. And I said, all right. So I threw out this like stupidly inflated price, like three times what I normally charged. And 10 minutes goes by, she calls me back and she says, yeah, let's go with it. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> now I have to go and do it. Right. So went out and did it and it was in a community hall and it was the wrong music and it was just oh, this no. greasy, nasty crowd that I kind of grew up with that I didn't want to even be around a lot of the time. And it was just this weird thing where I just, I knew every ounce of me, the vibe and everything just knew that this was not for me anymore. Right. And so I went out and did a cringeworthy show and man, when I got home, I just torched that red G string and just took it out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never been seen again. So yeah, you must crazy. have needed that show though, right? It is those moments that you go like, "All right, yeah." I I just needed yeah. that little push to go like, "No, no, thank you." Well, Meryl can know what I'm talking about because I was it was like I realized in that moment that I was that guy, and what I mean by that is is. Um, when I first started dancing, even when I was first in that original club at 17, I saw this one guy out there and he was just not supposed to be on stage anymore. Like the crowd wasn't even, they were, the girls were sitting around talking to each other while the guy was out there doing his thing. Oh. They weren't even paying attention to him, right? It was horrible. And I, I actually felt for him. Like I was like, man, dude, like, you know, and so I just thought to myself, I never want to be him. Mm -hmm. you know? really didn't want to be him and by the time i got to do that last show i came to a realization i was him and i was like no, <laughs> no it wasn't you know it wasn't leaving out on top that's for sure so dude but, you're awesome thanks for talking with us i want to make sure that people have an ability to follow you if you want that and also like yeah, go grab your book too so where can people get your book and where can they follow you well the good there's good and bad news behind that story the bad news is is that when you put a paperback book out from Canada, there's a shitload of shipping that comes into play and the printing costs are ridiculous. So the price of my book has actually been a little bit too much for me, in my opinion, and it's not something that I had any control over. So if a person wants to get that paperback version signed, you can go to my website at takeitoff.ca. You can order it from there. Um, definitely will send off that signed copy if that's important, but I'll be real. I'd rather respect your audience a little bit more and just say, hey, get yourself a cheaper copy on amazon.com it'll get there it'll be you won't have to pay the same shipping shit <laughs> or if you're actually with the modern era and you want to actually go kindle or kobo um now it's available on amazon as well and i think it's only 7.99 or maybe a little less than that to be able to get it there so uh that's another option or if you want to go to barnesandnoble.com or chapters indigo or walmart.com and get it there as well so oh, that's awesome. and then well, what i'll also do for you guys is, is i'll um I'm going to give you guys a code for your audience 
for my website. If anybody decides to go buy my website at takeitoff.ca, they can use the code CAMP code, C-A-M-P, all small letters, C-O-D-E. And I'll put it on the, my website where it'll give them a 10% discount. Now that's on the book. That's also on if they decide they want to uh, take a uh, drive on one of my courses. Um, because my one-on-one training is not cheap, but at the same time, man, when you come out the other side of it, it's worth it. Um, so that 10% discount will give a pretty good, um, you know, kickback there a little bit. Um, and yeah, like, like I said, I'm also right, right now it'll be up by, by May 1st, but right now I'm actually working on, uh, presenting, uh, the inner critic part of my course. Cause my course is actually 10 stages. And so the inner critic part, I'm going to put on video and have that as a free giveaway for anybody that wants to sign up to my blog, because if you sign up to my blog, I'm pouring my heart and soul into my blog right now. I've done some, some stuff that's been really hard to write, to be honest. But when I put, when I'm in my darkest places, sometimes is when I hit my hardest emotions uh, and that connects with my audience. So if you sign up to the blog, you know, you'll get the access to that, but also, um, you know, the, the upcoming events that I'm doing, I'm going to be doing a Ted talk in the next little bit. I'm cool. going to go on tour and start doing some book signings and stuff. So you'll at least be alerted for when I'm in your area and awesome. stuff. And, yeah, I'm not the big spammer. I just kind of put out the stuff when it's when I can provide value. Thanks you know? so much so. for that. We appreciate that. Yeah. So no, I hope I was a good guest for you. Oh, stop it! Guest, I didn't honestly, get to bed. You were awesome. No, I think we we tend to like really not want to do Zoom interviews, but this is I think our first Zoom where I actually feel like really connected with our guest, and yeah. I feel like it's it's almost as good as in person so um well, meryl you told me something dark and dirty about yourself so now we're really connected right? don't judge me I, I, I may have to come to california just to kind of get to know you a little bit better because if you're like that i oh want to know some of your friends i want to know some of your friends yeah i'm a single 52 year old man oh up here my i mean i'm just saying august 2nd i turn 40 so you know i do need a, i know you hung up the g-string but i can rent the hall i'll rent the local hall and and, and I, I have a lot of greasy friends, so that works. It's fine. Totally greasy, you know yeah. What, you guys, you're giving me some damn incentive. I've been doing a lot of yoga in this last little while, and I'd love to go do another show. So, you know, man, you never know. Oh, I might my just God. Be- might give you my triple price and uh, triple price might be able to get me down to California. I'll, I'll get into my 2006 Honda Civic and drive my ass down there. Oh my God, I'm literally blushing. That's so You're funny. awesome, Corey. Thanks for being here. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you in a big way. my impression of Meryl every time we come out of the uh, sleeping bag. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a, an amazing conversation. He had a lot to say. And uh, I got to be honest, I didn't expect to like Corey as much as I did. Um, you know, just as soon as you think about a guy who's been in the male exotic dancing uh, scene for a long time, you can have this idea of what that person is. And uh, I was wrong. And I'm glad I was because... It helps me, you know, learn every day that uh, your expectations can be obliterated. So, uh, you know, that's all. I mean, that that, that was a great interview, and um, we love you all. And I'm sure if Meryl was here, she would say the same. And until next time, guys, uh, go out there and uh, shake your shimmy. You know, you deserve it. We love you. This episode of Campfire Shit Show was produced by Bo Hufford and Meryl Klimo. It was edited by Bo Hufford, and the theme song was composed and sang by your friendly camp director, me, PB and J. If you've got a question or you want to be the next camper of the week, email us at campfireshitshow at gmail.com. Say hi to Bo and Merrill on Instagram at campfireshitshow, and please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Well, kids, it's time to pack up the camp and put out the fire. But don't you worry. We'll see you soon on another episode of the Campfire Shit Show.